there's nobody like him. Do you love him tonight? Come on, lift up your voice one more time. Amen. Come on, lift it up. I worship you tonight, Lord. There's nobody, no one, none, Lord, that compare with you. You are worthy of our highest. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God as we sang a moment ago about him inhabiting our praise. The Lord seemed to speak to my heart and say that if they would only give me room, all I'm looking for is just room. And you give him room when you magnify him. Amen. The reason God is not moving in some situations is because you haven't given him an atmosphere in which to work. Amen. He inhabits the praise of your people, of his people. So if he inhabits the praise of his people and I want to give him an atmosphere to be in, then I ought to be praising him even in the midst of my trouble. Amen. Instead of talking about my troubles, I need to be praising him in the midst of my problems. Anybody hear that tonight? Amen. You need to glorify him in the midst of the fire. Because when you do, you give him an atmosphere to come and do his wonderful work in your life. Amen. What a great privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord tonight. I hope that you appreciate what God has given you the opportunity to enjoy. We live in a country that so far is still fairly free. I'm not sure how much longer that's going to last, but I want to take advantage of every opportunity to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. And I want to praise the Lord for his goodness. Amen, amen. Has God been good to you? Has he blessed you? Has he been better than good to you? Oh, yes. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Well, it's the end of the school year, and there's a lot of folks, I'm sure, that are helping some of our people celebrate. I guess that's why they're not here tonight. Maybe they didn't get the memo that we were having church. But I'm glad you're here. Why don't you turn, smile at somebody and say, you look better than me. For some of us, that wouldn't be hard to say. Hey man, you look better than me. Not only that, you are better than me. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. I am, I, I'm probably going to get in trouble right now, but I cannot let an opportunity pass to praise and recognize our great people for what they accomplish. And uh, we, this is time for graduation, and I found out that Sister Rhonda, did you, did you get your doctorate? Is that what I heard? 
I know I'm in trouble, but that's all right. Just let me be in trouble. Hey, folks, she did it in the midst of COVID and all the other junk going on. Quit crying and making excuses. Get up and do something. Amen. You can if you want to. Sister Rhonda, you are an inspiration to me tonight. Knowing all that you've been through, she works at Texas Children's Hospital and uh, so uh, many pressures that have been on any of our people that are in the medical field. Uh, So many things that have happened in the last few years that's changed the dynamics of life. I'm proud of what they've accomplished and I want to applaud her tonight. Amen. 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 Well, you get me tonight. I know you're used to having Brother Long, but they're gone, and so you have to put up with me tonight. So for a few minutes, and I will not be lengthy, I don't think, but those are famous last words of every preacher. It's like that little boy that brought his friend to church for the first time and his little friend was curious about everything that was going on and every time they would do something, he would lean over and say, what does that mean? What does that mean? And he would take time to explain to him what prayer time meant and what offering time meant and all the other parts of the service and Finally, it came time for the preacher and the preacher got up there and laid his Bible out in his notes and then he took a long time getting his watch off and putting it in a strategic location. He leaned over, he said, what does that mean? He said, it means absolutely nothing. I have a clock back there, but it doesn't mean a lot. Genesis chapter 26. I confess tonight that I am not really prepared for this and I almost put it away to work on more of myself, what I thought I needed to say, but the Lord wouldn't let me get away from it, so I'm going to give you a little bit of what I have and just promise you that this isn't the last that you will hear about this subject. Genesis chapter 26, I don't have time to read the entire chapter, but it concerns Isaac, verse number 18 in particular, it said, and Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. I think it would do us to read that again. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names, so important, he called their names after the names by which his father 
had called them. There are some things that are so valuable and so important that you better get their name right and never change it. Amen. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight about redigging or some wells that need to be redug. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So many times in the reading of Scripture, it is hard for you and I to grasp the full depth of meaning of any particular setting or Scripture because of our removal from the time and the place. And uh, so it's hard for us to fathom the significance of what is being said. It's hard to understand how certain biblical events carried such weight and importance because when we read it, there's nothing in our life that we can identify with it to register. And it's typical that when we're stirred or moved, there's something in us that registers with what we're hearing. Israel, for the most part, was a dry and arid land. It was devoid of water to a great extent. It was dependent upon the rain, the former and the latter rain. One of them came early, one of them came late. And other than that, there was very little precipitation that fell in that particular area of the world. And That is where God chose to place his people in a land that in itself, uh, it was not paradise. It was not the Garden of Eden by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, But it was, it seemed to be everything but that. Uh, And yet God chose that land for his people. I think there's significance in that because God wanted to teach his people some very important lessons. And when we come to scripture readings about wells, unless you were raised on a farm and in the country and you're of a certain age, you probably don't really know what it's like uh, to even have a well or what you have to do to own a well. Uh, but I am old enough to have experienced a little bit of that, and for a very short period of time in my life, we actually had a well in our uh, where we lived when I was a child. But it's hard for you and I to understand uh, the significance of a well when all we have to do is just step into a room and reach out and touch a tap and turn it and there's water. And so we don't think about all the process that has to be gone through in order to get that there. We just enjoy the benefits of it and we take it for granted. Last year we had a horrible freeze. How many of you were without water? Go ahead, raise your hands. Did anybody go to the tap just out of second nature to turn that thing on and then you realize that there's nothing going to come out of it? 
And it's only when, as the significant, as the, as the saying goes, you don't miss it until the well runs dry. And that's true. And so when we read about uh, Isaac redigging wells, uh, it's hard for us to really fathom the significance of what Isaac was uh, involved in and what he was doing because we have never had to dig a well. We've never had to survive by the means of a well. We've always had that provision of water readily accessible. But in the land of Israel, it was not so. And in particular, in this time, a well was of great importance uh, to anyone. And if you owned a well, it was said that you owned not only the well, but much of the land around you. And people valued those uh, precious commodities because they were so rare and so few, but they were precious. And some of them, understanding the uh, topography of, of, of the ground and the, the structure and the makeup, much of uh, Israel was a rocky, uh, barren place. And so there was a strata of rock that had to be dug through in order to even get down into the ground. Now, there were many people that dug a hole and it would collect water when it rained and they, that's where they got their water supply from. But it was, it was stagnant and it was stale. It was called a cistern. And it was a means of survival, but I can tell you that it wasn't the best uh, way of surviving. There's a better way. And that's typical of so many things in life. We don't want to put out the expense or the time or the effort or the work that it takes to really dig a well. We just dig a hole and we're happy when the water fills it and we've got a little supply going on but it doesn't always hold out in the times of trouble. But a man that has a well isn't fearful of a drought because he knows that he has a supply. He knows he has a, a, a place to go to get what is needed. And so it was very costly for anyone to dig a well. And Abraham was the one who began this well digging ministry because he saw the significance of it and the importance and the value of it in his family and in the blessings of God that were going to come to his life. And so he invested in digging wells. It is said that Jacob's well was one of the deepest wells in, in, the, in the Holy Land. Now you have to understand, they didn't have excavators, they didn't have backhoes, they didn't have track holes, they didn't have all of the equipment that you and I enjoy today. 
And uh, they didn't even have blasting powder. They didn't have dynamite. This was pre all of those luxuries that helped make our job easier. But, the, the, but history says that Jacob's well was seven and a half feet in diameter and it was 105 feet deep. And it first had to go through several layers of rock before they were able to even dig out that well. That tells me that somebody put a lot of time and equity of sweat and work into digging a well. Now, why would somebody do that? Why would somebody spin? I have no idea how long it would have taken them, but I would imagine that it was a long and lengthy process. Even... If there were multiple men digging daily, having to break through the rock. I don't know if you've ever tried that. I don't know if you've ever even attempted to break through. But I've hunted in some places that we've tried to put uh, stands and feeders in. And the the, the subsurface of the, the land in the hill country is very rocky and You'd try to drive a stake in, and it was like hitting concrete. It's like hitting steel, and it didn't matter how hard you pounded. You, you weren't going to penetrate it, and yet somehow they did. They were able to keep digging and, and keep working until they broke through those levels of, of restriction, and they were able to get down into the heart of the earth. And I, I would love to know how long it actually took them, but I would, it suffice to say that it took them a great length of time, but there had to be a significant commitment to such an act because after a while people are going to look at you and, and they're going to ask, don't you think you're wasting your time doing what you're doing? And Abraham kept digging and, uh, he dug and he broke through. And uh, it, it was at that place uh, that he found this wonderful reservoir of water. Not, not a cistern, but a spring of water, fresh water that would come. It was so important that uh, I, I'm trying to remember, Brother uh, Starks, can you help me tonight? Was it? Uh, Beersheba or what what was the location it it was where he built or where he dug as well but it's actually the the word that is used for that location and you have to forgive me my mind's a little scattered right now but that the name of that means seven and many scholars believe that that meant that it was not just one well that that Abraham dug, but there were actually seven wells that were dug in that vicinity. That's how important Abraham considered a well for his family and his life was. He was willing to invest this significant amount of energy and time to dig. And when he got through to the first one, he didn't stop there. He went on and he dug seven more wells in 
that vicinity. Jewish history declares that there were seven wells there that Abraham built or dug. Have no idea how deep they were. But I do know this. I know that Abraham understood the significance and the importance of having that resource in his life and the difference that it would make for him and his family. The sad tragedy is that when Abraham died, something happened for an interval of time that nobody felt like the wells were worth much and the Philistines filled them in. Now, I don't know how long it was before Isaac woke up and realized that he needed those wells in his life too. But somewhere along the way, Abraham made, or or Isaac made up his mind that if it was important to my father, if my father would spend the amount of time and energy that he did to build and dig these wells, then it should be important to me as well because he didn't dig that well for himself alone. He dug it for me and he dug it for my children and my grandchildren. And it's my responsibility to make sure that that well does not stay stopped up any longer. Amen. And so Isaac began to redig those wells. And it was costly for him as well. Not perhaps as much as Abraham, but there was a significant investment of time and energy and effort in order to accomplish that task because he saw how important it was. This was a recognition on Isaac's part as well that one cannot survive without this well. You cannot make it without it. You've got to have that source of water, that supply in your life. A well provided, a life-giving supply of water, and it was essential, it was necessary for the well-being not only of his present life, but of the future of his family and his children. And I am concerned tonight about the future of our church and the future of our children because there are many wells that have been dug in the past that somehow through time have been allowed to be filled and they are no longer flowing with that life-giving water that made such a significant impact upon the life of the early church. And we need to wake up tonight and realize that if we're going to have a future that is filled with apostolic power and the holy anointing of God, we are going to have to have those same wells flowing in our lives. Somebody clap your hands and praise him. In Genesis chapter 26 in verse number 12 we begin the story of Isaac and it tells of a time when men worked to destroy those wells and they worked to, to stop their flow. But Isaac 
determined that he was going to redig some wells and they were uh, they were going to have to be redug amid, amid contentious spirits that did not want the well to flow. They did not want that water to be supplied. And so he had to not only dig them but defend them. And just like when Abraham dug them, there were enemies that wanted to destroy and, and they despised the work of Abraham and when David or when Abraham died, they were quick to try to take advantage of the absence of this man that was a visionary that saw into the future and he saw the significance of, of what that well would mean for his people and for their posterity. And he, 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 would, he would have died again if he had known what had happened to his efforts. I believe tonight that you and I have the opportunity to revive and restore some wells that have been stopped up and that have been neglected. Just understanding this tonight could help our church greatly toward the future that God has designed for it. That when you and I decide to become well diggers, that we decide that we are going to go back and redig some wells that have been stopped up or perhaps neglected or we've not been concerned about them or we're too modern for them. They're not essential anymore. We don't need that kind of thing in our church. We can do it without it. I'm here to tell you we cannot do it without it and we better go back to that well and find a way to get it flowing again in our lives. And when Isaac began to dig the wells, he found opposition as well, but he kept digging. There's some wells in your life that need to be redug. And while I am preaching tonight, I believe God is going to speak to some of you about some wells that you have personally neglected. Now I know that some of you are waiting for me to talk about holiness and doctrine and those are important wells that do not need to be stopped up. As far as I'm concerned, we're not stopping those wells up. But there are some wells that have helped make holiness and our message possible that we have neglected. There are wells of commitment and consecration and there are wells of prayer and dedication that we have allowed to become stopped up in our life. They are not flowing as freely and because we are so modern and we have become so professional and we are so good at what we do, so many churches don't feel like they need that anymore. It's not necessary. As a matter of fact, it is being brought, it is being moved out of the church. It is being replaced in the program by something a little more cool and something a little more acceptable to the culture in which we live in. But you hear this old preacher tonight. There are some wells that we better get our shovel out and get back to digging again that must flow in this place if we are going to enjoy the blessings of God not only now but for the future of this church 
We must have them in our lives. One of the wells that has been stopped up in this modern culture in which we live is the well of respect. I want to be careful tonight because I'm, I, I, I don't want to make anybody, well, I do want to make you uncomfortable. I might as well be honest with you. Respect. Just good old-fashioned respect for your brother or your sister. You know what respect is? It is knowing something about your brother but never saying anything about it. I'm going to say that again. It's knowing something about your sister but never telling anybody else about it. Because you have a respect for the body. That you realize that we are all members of the body. And if I start hacking or criticizing another part of the body, it's going to eventually hurt me. Amen. I know it's not going to make you want to shout tonight, but I hope it does make you want to get your shovel out and start redigging. We've lost respect for one another. We don't mind telling each other off. We don't mind getting up. It's amazing to me. I have seen people in service have tears flowing down their face in here and walk out there and I, would, I wouldn't even be able to know who they were by the way they were acting. That tells me that there's a well of respect and our culture has, has, has covered it up because there is no respect in our culture. There's no respect for authority. There's no respect for leadership. There's no respect for anything or anybody. And we feel free to say and do anything we want to say and do. I learned something a long time ago. Just because I can say it doesn't mean that I need to say it. There's some things that I just need to keep to myself because I respect the body and I respect what God has done in my life and I refuse to dishonor God's body by acting that way. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give him a little prayer. Praise God. Amen. If you have tears here and you give somebody a tongue lashing out there, you need to come back in here and do more than put tears on your face. There was a time when Israel laid on the altar and they kept, oh God, oh God. The Bible said they covered the altar with tears. And God said, I'm sick of your tears because your tears don't mean one thing. You shed tears in here and then you go out there and act like a heathen. You go out there and act like the rest of the world. I wouldn't even be able to know who you were when I saw you out there. I'm talking about redigging a respect for the body 
that I am a part of, that I have a responsibility to this body that I am a part of. It's a privilege to be a part of the church of the living God. When I look across the altar or I look across the platform or I look across the aisle, I don't see an enemy there. I don't see somebody I hate. I don't see somebody I dislike. I see my brother. I see my sister. I see somebody that God shed his blood for and he died for them so that they could know and understand him like they do. And I will not, I refuse to let that kind of spirit get a hold of me. Amen. I want to respect the body because the body is what he gave his life for. Amen. The well respect. Just old-fashioned respect for one another, for the house of God, for the things of God. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. I'm going to dig a little deeper. This well's been stopped up way too long, so it may take me a little while to get it dug up. But I want to get it dug up. Amen. When you get on Facebook or any other kind of social media app, and you take liberty to say whatever you want to say and backhand or backstab somebody else, you are dishonoring the body that God has allowed you to be a part of and you are a disgrace. It is a shame some of the things that I hear. I'm glad I'm not on Facebook because I'm telling you I would blow Facebook up. It would be in smoke tonight and I would have a million haters. I already know that. So I'm not worried about it. I'm just going to tell you that you have a responsibility to the people that are in this place because they are part of your body and you don't hurt your own body you don't do things to maim and hurt the body that God has made you a part of you don't criticize them for what they look like either because you don't know where they came from man some of us that's been in church all our life And we've never smoked a cigarette and we've never drank a lick of alcohol. We don't have a clue what it's like coming out of that kind of culture and out of that kind of world and the pull and the pressure that are on them. I'm just thankful they're here. I'm just thankful they're still coming to the altar. I'm just thankful that they still have something in their heart that makes them want to come to church. I'm not here to criticize them. I'm here to encourage them and tell them, hey, you're going to make it. Keep on coming. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. And God's going to do great things in your life. It took me 10 years to win one man. And almost lost him several times by these well-meaning saints that were going to help him out. He was a very quiet and reserved man. I'm not going to call his name, some that may have been in the storefront would remember him. But he came into our church. He was from a complete different religious background. He had been taught all of his life that we were snake handlers. Yeah. 
And he said, the first time I came in, I kept waiting nervously to see if he was going to get that basket out. And I laughed, and he was serious. And then one night, we had a, a little get-together in the building when we had first built the old struck, the, 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 the Sunday school area. It was just uh, in infant stage, and we had a little get-together back there. And some kids were playing in a side room, and they come running out, and they had a snake in their hand. Somehow a snake had crawled through the wall and got in the cabinet, and they had brought it out. And he said, I've been waiting on that. (laughs) He was a very quiet and reserved man. And you could come and scream in his ear and yell at him and all that, and all that did was just turn him off. And a lot of well-meaning people, they'd grab him when he would try to pray, and so he quit coming for a while. He just stayed back and, and just participated. But I kept working on him. I kept loving him. I played a little golf with him. I did everything I could to try to help nurture and build a bridge. And finally, after 10 long years, one morning it was as dead as it almost is right now. And nobody, nobody but that one man came to the altar that morning. But when I stepped off of the platform and I went back to lay my hands on him, I could hear that soft, timid voice speaking in another tongue. And I knew, God, it was worth every minute that it took to get him where he needed to be. Listen to me, church. Let's not assassinate our babies because they're not growing as fast as we think they ought to grow. Let's quit, let's quit criticizing if we are. And I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying there's a spirit in the world that's like that and we don't need it in greater life. Church, we are not here to judge people. We are here to love people. We are here to embrace them and tell them there's a better way of living and work with them and nurture them and love them until we love them fully into the body of Christ. Amen. The well of respect. There was the well of self-discipline. Oh, my Lord, I don't even know why I'm stepping off into this tonight. Self-discipline. Some people can't live for God unless you put restraints on them. And there are some people that came and they've gone because I didn't preach it hard enough or straight enough. And what they really meant is I just didn't do what they wanted me to do in preaching. They wanted me every service to straighten out everybody and tell them they were all going to hell and all of that good business. And I just decided that wasn't, that wasn't my responsibility to tell them that. My responsibility was to tell them that God loved them. God was there to help them, and God wanted to save them, and God wanted to redeem them. What I learned about that is some people can't live for God unless you put some boundaries around them. But I want to tell you something about living for God. There comes a time when you better draw some boundaries for yourself. 
you better put some parameters around your life because those are the parameters that are going to mean the most to God. Not what I tell you to do or not to do, but what you determine in your heart. I can't do that. That's not pleasing to God. I don't believe God would be honored if I did that. God would not be honored if I said that. God would not be honored if I went there. It's not that the preacher said you can't. I said I can't because I realized that for me to go there and do that, I would have to compromise who I am and what I am and what I represent. And I refuse to do that. And so I'm going to have a well in my life of self-discipline that I am going to learn how to govern my own self. Man, I'm going to learn to tell myself. What? No. 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 No, I'm not doing that. I'm not acting like that. Oh, Lord, please help me. I'm not saying that. Amen. Some wells that need to be redug. The well of loyalty. The well of loyalty. Idei was one of David's men. David was in a very bad place. There were people that were leaving him and banning him. What's amazing about David at this stage, if you go back, David had been so merciful to a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was Saul's only remaining son. And after David had subdued the kingdom and peace was in the kingdom and all of the ruckus with Saul was over and now he was on the throne and God was blessing. He asked one day, is there anybody that remains in Saul's household that I, could, that I could show mercy to for Jonathan, my friend's sake. And uh, they said, well, there's, there's one. His name's Mephibosheth. He's, but he's lame in his feet. He said, that's all right, go get him. And they brought him back. Mephibosheth was so afraid that this was his time to die that when he came before David he was fearful that David was going to take his life but instead he found a table spread for him in mercy he was given the king's robe and he was given privilege to eat at the king's table every day God blessed him you can read the story he had been so mercifully blessed now David is in a bad place There's division in the kingdom. By the way, division in a kingdom because David had brought Absalom back in and Absalom had had not been there for a while because of his actions and his spirit and he had been been separated from the family and David allowed him to come back and become a part of the family again and... and, uh, and then Absalom started nurturing his own little power base with the people. <laughs> Amazing. Here David is showing him mercy, letting him come back in the kingdom, be a part of the family. And 
he takes advantage of that opportunity and he starts building him a power base and people coming in to see David and get counsel. He said, oh, you don't need to go bother David. I'll take care of that. What's going on in your life? And he won the heart of the people. And it so emboldened this young man that he decided that he was going to replace his dad as the king. And David did an unusual thing. David was powerful enough to have snuffed out that rebellion right then. The difference between Absalom and David was the only thing Absalom loved was himself and his own desire. But David loved the kingdom. And David loved the kingdom so much that he was willing to get off of the throne and flee at night in shame in order to save the kingdom. And going back to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth has been shown all of this mercy, but now at this particular time, Mephibosheth is on the fence. He doesn't know whether he's going to be loyal to David or not. As a matter of fact, he's kind of getting his own ideas about being on the throne and being where, you know, being the, the, the chief hound dog, you know. And so David's talking to his men and he, he said, look, I don't have much to offer you. But Eddie, said, I'm with you, David. I'm with you in life and I'm with you in death. I'm not... I'm not just with you while everything's going good and then when things start looking a little bleak, you abandon ship. I'm going to tell you, David, that if the ship goes down, I promise you I'm going to be standing right beside you. I'm going to tell you what, the, what built the church. What built the church were not showboats and professionals, but it were people that are unknown. When you read the New Testament, when Paul gets to the end of his letter, he makes note of their name. You don't have anything else in history by which to go by to understand who they were, but they were people that stood by him in the midst of his rejection and all of the other things going on because they were loyal, they were committed, life or death, it doesn't matter. I tell you what built the church were men and women that were there no matter what the situation might be. It didn't matter what was going on. This is my church. This is my place. This is where I am committed and this is what I am loyal to. And that spirit in the day in which we live is greatly lacking in some places. I pray that it would never be so at Greater Life Church. I will have to say tonight, I am so humbled every time I come into this place by you and your great uh, spirit and always. I mean, we have been through so much stuff. Oh, my Lord. When I look back over our journey, I wonder sometimes how we made it. 
floods and storms and all other kind of issues, my own personal health issues and different things that have happened that could have sidelined the church and could have destroyed it. And yet somehow we kept ourselves together. The body kept building and kept moving. And even when it looked like you might as well give up and go away, we just stuck with it and kept going. We showed up when a lot of other people didn't want to show up. We just kept coming on. And I'm telling you tonight, there's something to be said about people that just keep showing up. Because that's where you build a church and that's where the kingdom of God advances. When you say, hey, I'm with you, whatever the case may be, we're going to do this together and we're going we're gonna to fly together and if we sink, we're going to sink together. Oh, clap your hands for the Lord. That took the wind out of some sails, yeah. Amen, 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 amen. The well of loyalty. Amen. It needs to be redone. The well of self-denial. Self-denial. Oh, I don't have time to go into all of that. I'm going to close. I think it's so important for us. I'm not through, but I'm going to stop for right now. The well of self-denial. He said, if you're not willing to deny yourself, Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. You're not worthy to be my disciple. Amen. Self-denial. There are some things that my wife cannot tell me not to do. I have to tell myself not to do. Amen. There are some things that my flesh would want to do that I have to say, no, 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 you're not going to do that. You're not going to act that way. You're not going to talk that way. You're not going to be that way. No, no, no. And there is a well of self-denial that is missing from so many Lives, but it rings such a rich blessing when it's there. When that well is flowing freely, oh, the power and the anointing of God that comes with that kind of flow. And I just feel like we need to get busy and make sure that those wells stay flowing in this place. Amen. And that if any of them are stopped up, and you know what, I believe God's talked to some of you about a well in your own life that you've let get stopped up. You've, you've neglected it. You didn't feel like it was really that big a deal. But all of a sudden, the Spirit starts stirring you and, and talking to you, and you realize, oh, I, it is important. A well is always important. I've got to get that thing flowing again in my life. Let's stand together. Amen. Isaac reopened the wells not only for himself and for his father, but he opened them for the future. He opened them because he believed that the future deserved everything that he had received. Amen. 
I wonder tonight if we feel that way about the future. Amen. Do we feel as strongly about the future as Isaac felt about his? Amen. I want everything that I have received in my life. I was raised in church. I remember looking out under the pew while people shouted. I counted bobby pins that fell to the floor. Amen. I remember one night in Wichita Falls, we were in an old wood frame, A-frame building, windows down both sides, and it came a horrific hailstorm. I'm talking about hail that was almost the size of baseballs and it began to break out the windows and glass started flying everywhere. We're right in the middle of worship. Song wasn't called worship back then, it was called song service. And we sang out of the book. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what page we were on and I don't know what song we were on, but I know right in the middle of all that glass started flying. And I'm just telling you that in the day in which we live, that would have been time for us to call church. But not then. Not then. I remember as vividly as it were tonight, I watched as men picked those wooden pews up and they turned them against the windows all the way down both sides. And they stood in the middle of the auditorium and continued to worship and they stood until Brother Holly finished preaching. Maybe that's why there's no quit in me. Amen. Because I was taught a long time ago adversities are going to come. There's going to be some things happen in your life that's going to try to knock it out of you. But you have to have enough tenacity and enough grit that you have to, if you have to get off of your pew, <laughs> oh, there's, oh Lord, I don't even, please forgive me for saying that, but you're going to have to get off of your pew and maybe set it up against the window and go right on having church. Go right on living and doing what God's called you to do. Amen. I've been given so much. I've seen services that lasted till midnight. Oh, Lord. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm serious. Services lasted till midnight. And we had school the next day on top of that. We didn't miss school and we did not miss church. I know I'm old and I'm showing it tonight. But I believe there's some wells of that nature that need to be redone because that's what brought the power of God. It was that determination that nothing was going to stop us. I remember one night, Brother Eldon and my brother James, we had had such a great move of God. I'm just a, a young kid, but I remember them getting so drunk in the spirit that they had to be led out of the church. Amen. 
And they talked in tongues all the way home. And one of them, I think, talked in tongues all night long. How long has it been since we've had that kind of spiritual experience? I believe it came because they had some wells in their life. Yeah. And I think we have replaced wells with our professionalism and our polish. <laughs> I think we've replaced wells with our well oil sermons and our cute little titles. And we think that's going to do it. And it's not going to do it. It's going to take getting that shovel out and getting back out there in the hot sun and putting in the sweat and the energy and the effort to get that water flowing because there's great power when that water flows. <sighs> Would you just praise him right now? <sighs> Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, I love you. I praise you. I want to dig those wells, Lord. I want to dig those wells. Hallelujah. Come on, don't let that stop. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now. I wonder if you'd join me here at the altar for just a few moments and let's see if we can start redigging some wells. Lord, I'm going to dig the wells that, that, that have meant so much to our past. and It's going to mean so much for our future as well, Lord. Consecration and commitment and dedication and wells, Lord, of respect and humility. Lord, wells, wells of self-discipline and self-denial. Oh, God. Oh, Lord, tonight. We need them. We need that water flowing. We can't live. We can't exist as a church without it. We cannot see what we need to see by just being professional. We can't see what we need to see by just being polished. We need an old-fashioned flowing of your spirit. We need the old-fashioned anointing of your spirit. We need the old-fashioned blessing of that well flowing. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.